Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. And when you find that, stand with me to read God's Word. This morning we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 16 verses 5 through 12. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing amongst yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this time and this privilege we have to gather around your word. Lord, give us understanding that we might live, that we might thrive in service to you. Let me pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I entitled the sermon today, Understanding Jesus. And let me just say right off the bat, it's really easy to be misunderstood and to misunderstand something that you hear or say, hear someone say or do. Uh, It's just really easy to have happen. I've had people tell me before, well, you said this. And I said, well, no, I I said that. And uh, I've I've said to other people, I know exactly what you said. You said this. And they're like, no, I I never said that. It's, it's really easy. I know sometimes we, we hear what we want to hear. It, it's like that when you seek counsel from someone. You, you go and you ask them their advice and they give you their advice and, and you go away thinking they told you exactly what you wanted them to say. My family likes to play games at holidays and uh, every time we go to my parents, we uh, have some kind of game going on. Usually it's boggle. Um, but this year was different. This year we played... We played Telephone Pictionary. And it's kind of like the game Telephone, where you start on one end, and someone says something, and they pass it on, and by the time it gets to the very end, it, it's completely different. Well, this is where you draw that. You, you write a phrase, and then the next person has to draw what you wrote, and then the next person has to write what they, the other person drew, and all the way down. There's some hilarious things. Not, there was not one round that we played where someone said the phrase at the beginning and that phrase was at the end was the same way. It was, it was all mangled. Uh, we misunderstood the words and what to draw. We misunderstood what we were, the picture we were seeing. The person tried really hard to, to portray what they were wanting to portray, uh, but it just didn't work. It's just really easy, whether it's a game, whether it's uh, a, an important uh, memo that you get at work, or whether it's an assignment at school, or, or counsel that you get or whatever, it's really easy to misunderstand and not 
see it clearly. Well, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 5 through 12, the disciples misunderstood Jesus again. They misunderstood what he was talking about. And it was, it was a really simple thing that had happened to them. They had forgot to bring food. And, and Jesus makes a statement about teaching, and they think he's, he's uh, blaming them for not bringing food. Now, the context of this passage is, is Jesus' response to the Pharisees and Sadducees who come up to him, and it's recorded in the first four verses of this chapter. They come up to him, and they want to test him. They want to try to cause him to stumble, and they, they, they demand a sign. They want proof from him that he is God. That's the context. And what Jesus had said in that context is, you're not getting any signs except me. He says, it's the sign of Jonah, which is pointing to me. And, and basically what happens here is that Jesus is now talking to his disciples about these Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, usually it's the Pharisees and the scribes that are together. The Pharisees and the Sadducees coming together they were, they were diametrically opposed in many of their teachings. They did not like each other. They were competing against one another, but they were united in their common hatred of Jesus. Hatred makes strange bedfellows, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees were too. So what happens? Basically, Jesus says, you need to watch or beware of the leaven. Now they're thinking it's the uh, yeast in the bread, He's talking about something far, far greater and more significant. He's talking about what the Pharisees and Sadducees stood for, what they taught. And he he gives two words here, watch and beware. And they're very, very similar. The watch means to to see and and to beware of what you see, to watch out for that. And, And beware basically means, okay, you see it and then you pay attention to it and take notes and act accordingly. Okay, so if you're, if you're coming up to a, a big pothole, don't just drive right through it. So watch and beware, but it's, and he says the leaven of the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, and the disciples are thinking, yeah, we're lame, we didn't bring any bread. Farthest thing from what Jesus was trying to tell them. Now why was Jesus so focused on, on the teaching of, of, of those who were against him and, and then by default those who were against his disciples why was he so focused on this a lot of times people will say well teaching doesn't really matter that much it really, it really matters the most because what is taught everyone is teaching something everyone is listening and, and bringing in some kind of ideas in which they base their life upon so the most, this is the most practical thing in the world teaching matters supremely because what is taught is what is going to be held to. What was he talking about when he was talking about the teaching or the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? He was talking about the Pharisees' rigid legalism. They were very, very legalistic. And, but, but the Sadducees were different. They were politically inclined and they were materially inclined. They had a worldly materialism that, that, descri- that defined them. And so the teaching of, of these two groups weren't this wasn't the same. But both were destructive. Both were harmful influences. And the reason why Jesus was so focused on the teaching is because teaching influences your thought. Teach, teaching challenges you. Teaching actually enlists you into a course of action. 
Teaching shapes your belief. Teaching, teaching grounds you. Teaching sets the tone for your life because you get ideas. And again, wherever you get that teaching, wherever you get the ideas that get, that get put forth, you're basing everything you do upon some form of teaching. Teaching drives action. It inspires. It directs. What you think when you think of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the most important thing about you. What you think, what you, what you, what you believe, which, which comprises what you think, say, and do about Jesus is the most important thing about you. But you've got to ask, where did you come up with what you believed? It, was it out of thin air? No. It's either going to be based upon the Bible or upon man's thoughts. It's either going to be doctrine of demons or doctrine of God. And Jesus wants them to beware because the Pharisees and the Sadducees were teaching doctrines of demons, not doctrines of God. Now what happens is Jesus asks four important questions, one after another. They're discussing amongst themselves, verse 7, and and then Jesus is, is knowing this, and he says, look, you are of little faith. And he, every time he says this, he's, he's basically pointing to the fact that they're not trusting him. They're trusting their own understanding. And he says, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing amongst yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Don't you get it? Don't you yet perceive? We've gone over this before, Jesus is saying. And so he reminds them of the feeding of the 5,000. Do you not remember the five loaves? And he pointed them to the beginning and the end. The five loaves for the 5,000. And how many baskets you gathered? More than five. And then he points them in verse 10 to the seven loaves that they had for the 4,000. And to the end of that scene, how many baskets you gathered? He's pointing out to them that he provides for the most important need physically that, that for of food... But then he's, he's, what he's angling at is that, look, I, I provide everything you need physically. I'm going to provide everything you need spiritually. If I can take care of what is most important for the body, I can take care of what's most important for the soul. And so he says, how is it, verse 11, that you fail to understand that I didn't speak about bread? It's kind of comforting for us that don't get it sometimes. We, we kind of have to have repetition. Repetition is good. We need to hear the same things over and over again to strengthen our convictions and to, to lead us on the right path and to keep us on the right path. So Jesus says once again in verse 11, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Twice now he says it. But this time they get it. Verse 12, then they understood they got it that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, which kind of would have been just ridiculous, right? But he says, no, the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's it. That's, that's it. He's just telling them to beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which again was not the same. Their teachings didn't line up. They were different. So what's he getting at? He's explained it clearly. He, they understand it. They get it. 
And I do think it's that he's getting at this idea that as he's provided what's most important for the body, he will provide what's most important for the soul. Think about this. Think about teaching. Think about in terms of a permeating influence. Jesus equated the teaching with leaven. Teaching leaven. Um, yeast. A little bit that affects a whole bunch. Think about the permeating influence of good and evil. Both of those things is, is an awe-inspiring thought. Um, think of it this way. The, the, the significant the significant um, influence of the gospel, the, the dynamite power of the gospel to transform a life. Sitting here today, you have a, uh, if you're a believer, you have a testimony. You, you're able to say, this is what my life was like before Jesus came into my life and, and saved me, and this is what my life has been since he did so. And many of you, many of us would tell stories of what we were like before, and we would, we would if we didn't know you, if you didn't know us, we would, we would be surprised that, that your life was like that. We shouldn't be, but because we see you with a transformed life. But you think about the, a life ravaged by the eroding effects of sin. And how, how significant sin is in messing a life up. And both of these things happen. You know, so Jesus saying to, the, to his disciples, you know, beware of the leaven, also known as the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, again, two groups that were usually opposed to each other. The teaching was the whole course of their life. And Jesus says, you know, over in Matthew 23 about the Pharisees, do what they say, but not what they do. Um, so he's saying, watch out for them. They're not going to lead you to heaven. They're going to lead you to hell. Watch out, because a little bit of that can mess up your whole life. It can set on, set on course, uh, set your, your life uh, course in the wrong way. So teaching was very important to Jesus, and he understood something his disciples didn't at that point. Um, that doctrine and teaching does divide, but it doesn't divide believers. It divides believers from unbelievers. Because doctrine doesn't divide believers, it unites believers. It unites those who hold to it. Because doctrine reveals, uh, doctrine shapes, and it assures you. Think about John chapter 7. In fact, go with me there. Jesus is, is talking about his teaching. And he says in verse 16, basically, he's at the Feast of Booth, a Jewish feast, and they are... They are Celebrating um, something that God has done, but they are they are um, saying that Jesus' works are evil. Very interesting that they'd be doing that at the same time they're celebrating what God has done when God in the flesh is with them. They weren't recognizing that. But Jesus, uh, about the middle of the feast, stands up and begins to teach in the temple, and they're saying the Jews are saying they're marveling. This how does this man have learning? He has never studied. And Jesus says in verse 16, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, so if you want what God wants, if you want to do what God wants you to do, then it says he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Jesus said 
in John chapter 8 and verse 32 that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Literally, he's pointing to salvation, that your soul would be set free from the sin that you've been enslaved to. Jesus is, is very uh, interested in, in the teaching here because the, the, really the main idea is this, that God wants us to, to seek and to, to find true wisdom and understanding in Christ's teachings and, and let nothing stand between us and Him. That's really it. Jesus wants us to seek and find true wisdom and understanding in His teachings and not let anything drive a wedge between us and Him. In fact, if you think about what the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were trying to do, they were trying to, to drive a wedge between Jesus and His disciples. Why would Jesus say, beware of their teaching? It was because it was opposed to Him. Stay away from that stuff. It's harmful. You know, in your garage, you've got all sorts of things that you shouldn't eat. Paint and chemicals and poisons and they've got warnings on them. You can't even throw those in the trash legally. They're, they're, stay away from those things. Don't, don't ingest them. Don't drink them. Don't, don't even breathe them too much. They'll mess you up. So Jesus is saying, look, you need to seek and find your true wisdom and understanding in me and my teachings and don't let anything stand between us. In Proverbs chapter 2, we see a, a, a huge call to seek understanding. Proverbs 2 verse 1, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with, with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. There you will find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. You're going to understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you, verse 12, from the way of evil so Jesus is, is, is trying to save the disciples lives he's trying to save them both from themselves in their own inclination towards sin and he's trying to save them from the harmful influences that are all around them dressed up in religious clothes Now, why was the Pharisees and Sadducees teaching to be avoided? We, we realize that in a general sense, but what about their teaching was, was wrong? Now, we know that their teaching didn't agree with one another, but what about their teaching in, in general was so dangerous? Though, to lump these two groups together and say, watch out for both of them. Well, first of all, their teaching was inaccurate and it was twisted. Inaccurate and twisted. They had... They had taken some things that God had said and moved them around and rearranged them and made them into things that they wanted to say. They had twisted the scriptures. They had come up with things completely outside of scripture. Oral traditions, which later were written down in the Mishnah. But they had basically put their ideas above God's word. But their teaching was inaccurate and it was twisted. 
The second thing about their teaching, why they needed to, to stay away from it, was that their teaching was legalistic and hypocritical. Jesus says, do what they say, don't do what they do, because they, they're not matching. They're hypocrites. They're trying to get you to do something that they won't even do themselves. So their teaching was legalistic. It was, it was enslaving. It was like putting a noose around the neck of, of people who followed them and then dragging them around by that. And the, last, the, the, the third thing about their teaching is it, it led to ruin. It wasn't going to lead them to heaven. It wasn't going to lead them to God. They made sons of hell. Jesus' words. But what they were saying sounded so rational. Follow us. We have the answers. We're your authorities. Sounds reasonable. Do this or that and have a good life. But it leads to ruin. They promise what they can't deliver. And they were trying to drive a wedge between Jesus and the disciples. That's a satanic influence. Driving a wedge between two parties that are together. I remember when I was a kid growing up in Downey, um, one time my dad uh, cut down this tree in our backyard and for a couple weeks it seemed like, maybe it was only a day, it was a long time to me as a little kid, we had these huge logs that we would split and we used a wedge and we would take a sledgehammer and a, a, a metal wedge and we would drive it into deep into this into each um, log and we would uh, we would try to split the logs but oftentimes the wedge will get stuck and you have to get another wedge to get it out but driving a wedge was not an easy thing to do you can mess yourself up you can you can hurt yourself and also it's just hard work but it does have a big influence You've got this trunk of a tree, let's say, and it's, it, you wanna, it's, a, it's a segment of that, and you, you put it down the ground, and you put a wedge there, and your, goal, your whole goal is to get this thing to split in two, to separate from one another, from, each, from itself. <laughs> and so basically, your job is to destroy it, right? So you can use it and throw it in the fire and then destroy that. Well, the thing is, there was probably some Pharisees and some Sadducees that were sincere. Sincerely wrong. Being used as pawns by Satan to drive a wedge and to, and to lead people in the wrong way. That was the idea. They might have thought they were doing the right thing. Paul thought he was doing the right thing before he got saved. You thought you were doing the right thing before. I thought I was doing the right thing before I got saved. But what happens is, is false teaching, false ideas are, are deceptive and they're destructive. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Speaking of false prophets and teachers. Peter is, probably wrote this letter from a prison right before he died. Probably in the, in the six, late 60s AD. And he says... He says, false prophets arose from amongst the people. They were with them, and false teachers arose within the ranks. And then he said, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, denying Jesus, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. 
And many will follow their sensuality and and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. And then a word of assurance. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. God will take care of them. Well, here's what we've got in contrast. When Jesus says, both in in verse 11 and and verse 6, beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he's pointing them to his own teaching. He didn't leave it out in a vacuum and say, just beware of their teaching. He's saying, basically, beware of their teaching and, and cling to mine, which is in sharp contrast to theirs. Because in contrast, Jesus' teaching is good. Um, Jesus' teaching is what we need to cling to. I, I can't help but thinking of Mark chapter 1, where in the context, um, Jesus is performing all these miracles, but he insists on going to the next town. There's a reason. He said that I may preach there also. That I may preach that. And then he says, that is why I came out. That is why, what I came for. That preaching was his purpose. That, that from here you see the Pharisees asking for a sign right before. And Jesus is, is worrying about their teaching and wants us to follow him. And, and right preaching is his purpose. He wants them to hear truth. He wants them to hear words that are going to lead them in the significant path toward him and not away from him. Because here's the thing about Jesus' teaching in contrast to the, to the, to the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus' teaching is true and accurate. It's true. And it, it is not twisted. You know, Jesus defines reality. Remember when he said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, He's speaking authoritatively as God. And so Jesus' teaching is true, it is accurate. John 17, 17, thy word is truth. He's praying to the Father. His teaching is true and accurate, and it is also also freeing and real. It it doesn't enslave you in a bad way. You you become, if if the Son shall set you free, literally save you, you shall be free indeed, then you become a bondservant of Jesus. You become a slave of the Son in the best possible way. So what that would point us to is finding our deepest joy in Him and His teaching and not in anything else. You know, not, not finding your deepest joy in, in other things is hard work because the magnet pull of other things is so deceptive and seductive that we want to go there. So only Jesus can do that. And his teaching frees you and, and, and is, is real and it points you in the right direction. And his teaching leads to life. His teaching leads to life. His disciples, I remember when Jesus said, you know, are you going to leave too? And he said, they say, where, where are we going to go? You have words of life. Only you have words of life. So keep going back to the fountain of life. Keep coming back to the word of God. It doesn't get old. It's not, oh, I've heard that one before. Yeah, I heard those when I was a kid. I, I, I memorized the Bible already. Those that I know that, know that that know God's Word the best want it the most now. I've never met anyone who, who 
loves the word of God and knows the word of God who says, I'm through with the word of God. They keep going back to the fountain. They keep going back to the well. They keep going back to the place that is of truth and life. Now, I think this translates into several recognizable things and leads, will lead to some observable differences in our lives if we take Jesus' words to heart when he says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And when you think Pharisees and Sadducees, just think anyone who teaches falsely. Beware of false teaching. And cling to mine, is what Jesus is saying. And I think it will lead to several things that will distinctively set us apart. Number one, we will seek his wisdom. We will seek his wisdom. We will seek Jesus. We'll be hungry for him on a daily basis. And it will be because he works in our hearts and we don't resist. It will be because we don't get wrapped up in other things so much that we are so fogged up and so clouded we can't see straight. It will mean that we find our joy in Jesus. We like to find our joy in so many things. I like to find my joy in so many things that aren't Jesus. You find your deepest joy in Jesus. You will find, by the way, your deepest joy in someone or something. And I'll just say this. If we find our deepest joy in something or someone other than Jesus, it will ruin us. It will destroy us. You will have your heart broken. You will have your heart broken by false suitors that come to you and promise things and pretend that they have your best interests in mind. You cling to some false teaching, you will be led astray and sometimes you won't even know it. People will try to correct you and you will defend that false teaching. To be able to stand your ground against the attacks of the enemy of your soul, you've got to cling to Jesus, find his wisdom, go to the word, and then find your joy in him, or things are, are, are just not going to be as God intends in your life. Fool's gold. When I was a kid, we would go to, out to the desert, to Joshua Tree, where my grandma and grandpa lived, and, and there was a thing called mica that I thought was gold. This fool's gold. I would thought I was finding gold all the time. I would be out there um, with my bow and arrow, uh, out in the wash, we called it the back wash, a couple acres back there, and I'd go down the hill and just, I would just explore. I, I was the Lewis and Clark, you know. I was, I was out there finding rocks and lizards and, oh, shooting my BB gun too. And, and I remember finding things that I thought were gold. Oh, I would get so thrilled. I'd bring it back, and my grandpa would say, that's just Micah. I'm like, what? That's not my, Mike? My, that's my name. No, Micah. It's false. It's not real. But what you got to do is you got to let the fool's gold wash down the drain with the rest of the trash, with the rest of the refuse. Let it go. When it is exposed, don't hold on to it as your little precious. That's what we do, don't we? It's the thing that will destroy us, and we hold on and say, no, 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 it's mine. You can't have it. Jesus' teaching leads to life. Jesus' teaching leads. Uh, brings joy real joy 
Don't, don't let anything come between you and Jesus. Right now you're sitting in seats and, and you might not be sitting next to the person you want to sit with. Something's between you, another person maybe, or a row or two, and you, you really want to be sitting with that person, but something has come between you, and that's just a physical thing, but also something can come between you and a relative or a friend all the time, right? A misunderstanding, harsh words, anger, resentment. But here's the thing. We often let things get in between us and Jesus. And he never did anything to us wrong. And we might not have thought we were doing anything wrong to him. But it's kind of like Jesus when he's speaking to the churches in, the, in Revelation. He says, I have this one thing against you. You, lost your first, you left your first love. So you need to repent. You need to turn around from that. You've wandered away from your, your first love. And he's talking about himself. People are watching a lot of football right now. No pro basketball to watch, so people are watching a lot of football and college football, pro football. And man, I love watching a good quarterback, but I also love watching a good running back. And a good running back knows how to sidestep. I'm not going to, uh, you know, I'm not going to show you right now. But um, there's a guy in here that was running back in college. Dave, you were, you know, good running back sidesteps. And, and, and gets away from people because they're trying to tackle him they're trying to destroy him they don't want him to score and he wants to get to the promised land and so he sidesteps and vaults and, and hurdles and does whatever is possible to, to, to get free to break free and he's got teammates around him helping him do that so we got to do in the body of Christ We've got to sidestep evil. We've got to sidestep destructive heresies and watch out for them, warn each other about them. And, and I think what, you, what you'll see, when that happens, when you get locked into the Word, when you get dialed in, tuned into the Word of God, there's joy in your life that isn't there when you're not dialed in. You know when you really love something. When you really love something, I don't care if it's your favorite food, your favorite restaurant, your favorite team, your favorite music group or whatever, or a a person. Um, Your life begins to revolve around the object of your love. You can't get enough of the object of your love. You love being around the object of your love. You even love telling other people about the object of your love. You can't stop talking about the object of your love. You know when someone loves Jesus. I know when someone loves Jesus. They can't get enough Jesus. They can't stop talking about Jesus. They can't can't stop going to Jesus and saying, help me, teach me. They can't get enough of the word of God. And they love to be with people who love Jesus. And they can't stop talking about him to people who don't love Jesus. Now, I think there's one more thing, and then we'll close. One more thing that um, I want to bring out here that I think will be that recognizable difference, that will be that, that distinctive, observable difference in us. What's going to happen? We're going to seek his wisdom. We're going to find our joy in Jesus. But then what will happen is we will continually be led by him. We're going to seek to be guided by him. You know, guys don't like to ask for directions. But a humble man who loves Jesus needs to ask Jesus for direction every single day, every, every moment of the day. 
Um, we've got to be led by the Spirit. Just the other day at our elder meeting, with uh, Alan Weisenberger was uh, taking us to Isaiah 30. I want you to go there with me. It's one of my favorite passages in Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 30. And uh, verse 15. You know, you'll find your direction and assurance in Jesus. That'll be a distinctive difference about you if you beware of false teaching and, and truly seek to understand what Jesus is saying. Uh, Isaiah 30, verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. And he's speaking to rebellious people, by the way. He's speaking to people that had spurned him, that had gone away from him, that had uh, been unfaithful to him. And he says, he says, I'm the Holy One. And in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In repentance, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength but you were unwilling. You didn't want to. And you said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, God says, you shall flee away. And then you said, I, we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. They'll chase you down. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill but God turns to them now verse 18 and says therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you you've been wandering away from Jesus you've been denying his word or even just neglecting his word God it says waits to be gracious to you now he's not your butler he's not your your homeboy he's not your whatever you want to call Jesus as a flippant way he is the Holy One of Israel. And He waits to be gracious to you. He condescends to be gracious to you. And it says in that verse, He exalts Himself to show mercy to you. The, the, the Lord is the God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. He waits to give mercy to you and you are to wait upon Him. It says, a people shall dwell in Zion, verse 19. You will weep no more. You will sure, he will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. As soon as he hears your cry, he answers you. And though the Lord gave you the bread of adversary and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will hide himself no more. Your eyes will see your teacher. And your ears, verse 21, will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it whether you turn to the right or to the left. And then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver, your plated gold metal things. You will scatter them as unclean. You will say to them, be gone. You won't want that stuff anymore because you know it's trash. And the greatest treasure is Jesus. Your ears will hear a word behind you whenever you turn to the right or the left. It's going to be a word of assurance. This is the way. Walk in it. You're going the right way. But do you notice the word is behind you? You're hearing it from behind you, giving you assurance as you take steps of faith. I remember walking up uh, in the San Gabriel Mountains once with a good friend of mine that was probably 40 years my senior, Buck Rarick. He's with Jesus now. But I remember as we were walking up these hills, he, he said, you take the lead, you're stronger. And he was probably in his 70s at the time, and he goes, you take the lead, but as we're, I'd never been on this trail. And as we were walking up the trail, he would say, okay, now turn right. Okay, I turn left. Okay, keep going straight. 
And every time I read this verse, I think about that because God is basically going to be telling us as we're taking steps of faith, you're on the right track, assuring us that we're doing the right thing. Romans 8 talks about being led by the Spirit. All who are uh, led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You know, we've had a lot of wind lately here in Southern California, haven't we? You see the effects of the wind, oftentimes destructive, broken down trees and poles and, and, and things get ruined because of the wind. You can't even see the wind, though. You see its effects. And it, sometimes it is destructive. If you're, if you're in a sailboat, it's good, right? But, but the Holy Spirit, you can't see the Holy Spirit. But you see the effects of the Holy Spirit. And it is always productive. It is always good. It is always edifying. Now, Jesus made such a point of this teaching because at this point in the, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew, he's on his way to the cross. He's setting his face toward Jerusalem. He wanted his followers to be on task, on track. And, and he knew they would be ado- uh, tempted to adopt lies, just like we are. And he did not want them to be deceived nor disqualified. He wanted them to understand and be wise and pers- persevere and be undeterred. But it is amazing, is it not, how much a little thing affects everything else in life. A small amount of salt can flavor an entire pot of beans. Uh, A dead fly makes perfume stink, or so I read in Proverbs or uh, um, Ecclesiastes. A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. A small amount of evil can ruin an otherwise godly life. We need to take care and cling to Jesus who sovereignly holds on to us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence with us today. Thank you, Lord, that we are not sovereign. Thank you that you are. Thank you that you have spoken and you've spoken truth we need. And Lord, we pray that you would continually Drive us back to your word. Lord, give us understanding that we might live. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.